word of prayer, and then I'll dismiss the kids to, to go to class. And so, Father, as we humbly bow in your presence this day, we just look at all of the souls that are yours, that are here because they love you. And they love the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us and what you did in offering your only son up so that we might have the hope of eternal life. And so, Father, our whole desire when we meet together is just to worship you, to praise you, to exalt you and honor you. And so, Father, we pray that we do that this day. We pray that you look down upon our worship, upon our song, upon our prayer, and upon our communion service and the memorial of our Lord and what he did. And we pray that at the end of it, that just like when the, the earth and its creation was going on, and at the end you looked down and said, it is good. We pray that you will look down upon this worship service today and think it was good. Because we want it to be good and we want it to worship you. And so, Father, we pray at this time that you would open up our hearts and our minds into your word. Pray that we can understand exactly what's going on. I have to be honest, Father, you shared some things this week and opened eyes to some depth that I didn't realize. So I pray, Father, that I'm able to share it with your with your children here this day. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So kids, it's going to go to class. Uh, go ahead and meet at the back and they'll take you on up to class. <clears throat> as, as they're going out, I want to talk about prayer for a minute. Put on a shirt today that said that there's power in prayer and there is. And I want to ask first, how's Chris doing? He's holding in there. Okay, because we've been praying for Chris and we've been praying for another young man named Andy. And um, we put up an urgent prayer for them. And um, Andy, my, uh, my, my cousin's wife, uh, Stacy, had texted me and said that Andy, a young man that lives just right over here down the road, uh, he can almost throw a rock and hit the church that... Uh, he had COVID really bad. He'd went into the hospital and we began praying. But he took such a turn for the worse that she texted me and said, can you put urgent prayers up on the board because they just told the family he's not leaving the hospital. That he will not leave this hospital. So we put the prayer on the board. I want to tell you about the power of prayer for a minute. We put that prayer up on the board and our prayer was this. You're the great physician. Everyone else is practicing medicine. <laughs> and so, Father, whenever they tell a family that there's no hope and you're not going to make it out of the hospital. If you will act on their behalf, you will get all the honor and glory. And may it be something that causes your word to go into them. May it be for evangelism to those doctors, to those nurses, to everyone that's in there on that staff that there is a God, that he still does miracles, that he still answers prayer. And when you do, we're going to let them know and we're going to praise you. That report hit a thousand people this week. There's a thousand underneath of it now. Two days later, I texted Stacy back and I said, is there any news on Andy? She said, let me text Marilyn 
and see. And she came back. She went, praise God. What an awesome God we serve. Not only is he getting his own private room now with no ventilator, but he will be walking out of the hospital in two days. Amen. That's praise God. That is the power of prayer. And that's why we do all we do. The last few weeks we've been praying for folks. And we've been, been holding hands and praying in the body. But that's why we do that as a family. Because in the unison of prayer, God hears those prayers. And he works on the behalf of his children. So we love each and every one of you. We want to pray for you. So don't be shy. And you make those prayer requests known. If there's anyone right now who would like to come up and have a prayer, come on up. Because, Donnie, did you want a prayer? So there's power in that. If there's anyone else who would like to come up here, I'd like to ask my two elders to come up with me. But anyone else, don't feel like that, no, I don't want to. I don't want to be embarrassed. His back's killing him. I know we just prayed for Lisa this morning. But if you want another prayer, Miss Lee, do you need another prayer? Miss Lee? Well, we're going to gather right over there with, with Miss Lee then. And anyone who would like to have a prayer, please come over here and be with us and everyone else. We're just going to join together in prayer. Okay. We've, we've got a, another one. Come on. You can stand in. You're standing in for Chris. You're standing in for Nikki. Um, Chris is still in there. We, we want him to, to be healed with this. Nikki, we've been praying for her. She's um, out of the rehab now. She's 30 days clean. And uh, she's met a young fellow also who is, they're helping each other to stay that way. And so we're just going to pray to God. For each and every one of those, um, I'm just going to put some. I'm going to put a dot on here on everyone that's standing in. For you see, it's not about us. It's about what God's going to do. In the um, book of James, he tells us that if, is there any among you that are sick? You call for the elders of the church. and They will anoint you with oil. And it's the prayer of faith that will, that will heal and save. And so it's all glory and honor to God. But we're just practicing what his word says to do. That if, if you're in need, you come and you do that. And that prayer of faith in, 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 uh, in the word of God and what he will do provides the healing. And so I'm going to ask that we join some hands with someone. And, and Brother Dean, would you go ahead and, and lead us in that prayer? Well, you clear our minds, you clear our bodies, you 
Father gives us joy that we can only have that comes from you and the one you sent. Again, we just pray for each one that's here. Give them healing. Give them uh, help. And Heavenly Father, we know that they will praise you as we do. And uh, we just thank you again, Father, that we have these brothers and sisters that love you and want this right and depend on you. We just give you the praise and the glory in the name of your Son. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for asking and thank everyone for being in prayer. Ah, Genesis 3, if you want to be there with me. You know, we left off last week. I'm not going to spend much time in review. I just want to get going with it. You know, we left off last week with the man and his wife in the garden. They had just fell. They had ate of the fruit of the forbidden tree. And we, we turned around and we looked and seen what had happened with them in the fall. And that's where we want to pick up. Last week it was the tale of two trees. And we looked at that tree caused death. But the tree of life was removed and guarded. But now there's a new tree. The tale of the two trees was that there's a new tree. And that tree is the cross. The cross of Christ. And that through faith in that tree. And the work of Christ on the cross is where life comes back to us. And so... Uh, we left off right around verse uh, 11 or so in chapter 3 with the blame game getting ready to be played, you know. Uh, it's the game where the, uh, the man was asked what happened. And he said, well, that woman that you gave to me, she uh, did give to me and I did eat. And she, she started all of this and it's the one you gave me. So he started putting a little blame there. And then uh, the woman, she was very honest. He, he then looked at the woman and said, well, what happened? And the woman said, well, that serpent there, he deceived me. I didn't really know what was going on. He deceived me, and I ate of it, and that's where we're at. So I want you to notice then that whenever the Lord God, he asked the man and he asked the woman what happened, but when everything was explained and it boiled down, he didn't ask the serpent what happened. He already knew. He's already dealt with him up there in the heavenly realm before, and he knows what a liar, what a schemer, what, what a rebellious person that is. And he didn't want to hear none of his excuses, none of his part about it. He didn't take and ask him. He just turned and looked at him and he said, Okay, I'm going to pronounce judgment upon you. A just and righteous judgment is what you're going to get ready. So in verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, more than any beast of the field. On your belly you will go and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I'm going to do something else. I'm going to put enmity there. And that's a hatred. That's a bitterness. That's a war machine. He said, I'm going to put an enmity between you and the woman. The one that you went to first and tempted. I'm going to put a hatred and a bitterness between you and between her seed and your seed. And you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise and crush your head with it. And so when the Lord turned and he pronounced those judgments upon it, I want to tell you something that's pretty cool. Because when he said those things, you know what he was actually doing? Think about this. He, he, he turned to the serpent. After, after he told the serpent what it was, he went underneath of, to the serpent and he said, because you now have done this, I'm putting the enmity. So... 
Part of it was to the agent that the, that the devil used, but all, the other part of it was to him that was behind all of this, who had caused all of the problem. And so to that serpent, this is what's cool, because everything that God pronounced took away everything that he was and had brought them to the point of where they were. Think about it. You remember in verse 1 of Genesis 3, if you have your Bible there and you look, it said that now the serpent was the most subtle creature that the Lord God had created. He was way above any of the, of the beasts of the field. So, And the word for that serpent is nakash. And nakash, that word means to be a bright and shiny one. You remember it was Moses out there in the wilderness that... that Whenever the, the serpents came that they had to raise up a brazen serpent. And those that looked to it uh, were to be healed. And Jesus told Nicodemus that just like Moses in the wilderness raised up a, that brazen serpent. The, the one who caused the sin and the pain. I'm going to be the one that's raised up to heal that from you. And to restore the life. Well, brazen is bright and shiny, and that's, that's part of what he was. This creature was a beautiful creature, and he was, he was bright, he was shiny, he was smart, he was intelligent, he was charming. He had every one of those things that leads to the same thing that caused Satan's fall, and that is pride. He had all of these elements of pride within him, and he used those elements and charm to bring the woman to pride to where she wanted to be like God. When she partook of that fruit. So whenever this judgment was pronounced upon him. We, said, we talked two weeks ago if you remember about that serpent. And about the Nakash. And that was the one where we talked about the AMA. And their symbol and the serpent on the stick. And we, we talked about Escapulus and stuff. The father of the modern medicine. But we also said that, that during that. That the word for Nakash is one who is an enchanter. The one who hisses and and performs curses and, and is able to smoothly deceive you through, that, through, through his talk. And so what the Lord God says, it says that he is an enchanter, one who lists like magic spells and curses upon people. So the first thing that the Lord God says to the one who is the charming cursor, the enchanter, he says this, you're cursed yourself. I am going to curse you. So he takes the same medicine and begins dishing it back. Cursed are you. More cursed than any of the cattle and every beast of the field. You remember he was the most charming but also the most intelligent. You ever had a cow and stand there and look into those big old eyes of a cow? Boy, them big old eyes might be beautiful. But as they're sitting there chewing their cud, you can tell that there's not a whole lot of stuff going on behind them eyes, is there? So now this one who was the charming serpent, the most knowledgeable little creature that was so charming, now he's saying, you're more cursed above them. Ain't a whole lot going to be going on up there in your brain anymore. You're going to be a dull, dumb animal. I'm going to take away that light, that everything about you that was charming and led to pride i am going to remove it and take you back down oh you're going to crawl on your belly no more are you going to be able to stand up because when you rise up that can also make you like a proud look he said no more will you be standing up on the ground but you're going to crawl on your belly if you want to move 
you're going to have to undulate your belly and those muscles to get you to move across the ground. Oh, you caused my creation to have death and to go back to the dust of the ground. So to further humiliate you and your pride of what you did to set up my creation for death and for them to go back to the dust of the ground, as you are crawling on the ground, dust thou shalt eat all the days of your life so that you'll remember what you did and my curse back upon you for what you did to my creation. So everything was to ruin and to strip the serpent and the one behind the serpent of the pride that had caused the fall of the creation. And then in verse 15, the Lord God moved on to the devil. And he said this, So last week was the tale of the two trees. This is going to be the tale of the two seeds today. And we're going to get into to, uh, Cain and Abel as I'd promised. And we're going to see that that begins the tale of families from Adam and Eve. But it also begins a tale of there are those like that want to go the way of Cain. And there are those that want to go the way of God, the way of the Lamb. So this is where it begins, the tale of two seeds. When he turns unto him and he says this, he says, I'm going to put enmity between you and your seed and the woman and her seed. And he will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. So the tale of two seeds, the seed of Satan Verses and the serpent versus the seed of the woman through which the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world is going to come. The way of Cain represents religion. The way of Cain is going to represent pride, ego. It's going to represent rejection of the word of God. It's going to represent rejection of the Lord, re Jesus Christ. Rejection of I, I have sin in my life. That's what religion does. Religion, when people talk about religion, what it is is just what the Pharisees were back in the Word of God in Jesus' day. Religion says, I, by my works, God needs to recognize who I am and count me righteous by what I'm doing for Him. Just like the one guy was, was saying, Lord, have mercy upon me, the sinner, and the Pharisee was beating his chest. Thank God I'm not like him. Look at what I do. So religion is what I do. Faith in Jesus Christ is faith in what he does for us. And that is the only way. So the line of Cain is going to be the analogy of the line of the serpent. And the seed of the woman is those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we move into that direction, I want to go a little deeper though. In verse 17. Unto Adam the Lord God said, Because you listened to the voice of thy wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of that tree. I always like to stop at that word listen because that's, that's where I learned the beauty of, of the language. Because the word for listen, shama, that, that word for listen means that it's a fourfold thing. That means you can hear something, but you don't just hear it like something in the background going on, but you start paying attention to it and you listen to it. And then as you listen to it, you understand what that sound is and what it is saying. And then that sound carries more weight than anything else. So in other words, it, it carries like a command type thing that, that I am going to listen and obey that. And God said, because you listened and obeyed her word to take and eat instead of my word that said, don't eat of that tree. Because you have done that, this is what's going to happen here. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. 
Man was formed from the dust of the ground. So now the ground from which you came is taking a curse for thy sake. In sorrow all the days of your life shall thou eat of it. Thorns and thistles shall the ground bring forth unto thee. And thou shalt eat the herb. And that is a word for a tender plant of the field. And by the sweat of thy face. And oh it's the word af which means nose. And I'm going to tell you why that's important here in a minute. It's not just the sweat of your face, but it's also the sweat of of your nose is the word. You shall eat bread. You shall eat your bread by the sweat of your nose till you return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And wow, as I began looking at this and tearing this apart, a lot of this is for a future reference. It goes to like an Easter message, to a Resurrection Day res- message. But what I want to share with you is this. Look at the play of words that God's again using here. Not only like he did with the serpent, but with us as the man. Because if you'll remember in chapter 2, when man was formed, that God breathed into what? Man's nostrils. The breath of what? Life. And he became a living being. So through the nostrils of man, the breath of life came. And now through disobedience, death came. And God says this, for your physical life to be sustained. My breath went into you through your nose. But now through disobedience to sustain that by the sweat dripping off of your nose. Shall you eat and sustain your physical life? Isn't that kind of a cool play on words, even though it's a curse to us? And, and we try to bypass that with our tractors, with air-conditioned cabs and, and all of this so that we no longer have to do it. But if you work your garden and you till your ground and you're out there on a hot day and you're doing that, what's happening? That sweat reminds me every year that I do that because it's dripping from your face but also off your, off your nose. And he says, to sustain that physical life, The sweat's coming off of your nose and it's going to remind you every day that I should obey in the future the word of God from now on. And that's what it's a reminder about. And then it says this, that he called his wife Eve. He finally named her. You know, he'd named all the animals and the Lord God brought it to her. She's been the woman up to this point, Eshaw, all the way till now. And then he finally names her Eve because Eve or Havad means the mother of all living. And now she's going to start bearing children through their union. And, and so through that, she's going to be the mother to, to continue this physical life going forward since death has now entered into the world. And he called his wife Eve. And then we begin to see a pattern of worship. Uh, God, to cover their... You remember they wanted to make the, the covering out of fig leaves at first. And that is a covering of our works. They went to work to try to make their self right to cover up what they did. And God said, that doesn't work. To cover up, it has to be by the shedding of blood. And so God then offers up the animal and takes the skin from that and uses that that blood sacrifice to make coverings of skin for the man and for the woman and to do that. And that begins to form the pattern of worship that will be from here on out. That it's through the shedding of blood that there is the forgiveness and remission of sins all the way up to the Lord Jesus Christ. This was an analogy, a metaphor that's looking forward to that. So now they're kicked out of the garden. 
God covers them. They begin to have a new relationship with him through that sacrifice and through that covering. And so then they're kicked out of the garden to go and to till the ground and to do those things and to, to carry on life and to bring forth children and, and to keep them away from the tree of life and from the garden. There was two cherubims set there. And then there was a flaming sword that turned every which way around. And then you turn the page to chapter 4. And we begin to see now the tale of the two seeds going forward. Because it says in verse 1. That Adam knew his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain and said I have acquired a man from the Lord. You see whenever the Lord had told her that, that your seed you're going to bring forth some seed. She thought it was going, that it was Cain. She said the Lord has given me that promise. Well, no, the Lord meant it for something further, and I'm sure he began explaining that. But she called him Cain, which means I have acquired a man from the Lord. And then she bore again and called the brother Abel. So the children were born to the marriage union. They now have a family and parents. The thing that we as parents have to begin teaching our children and our grandchildren underneath of us is some things like there is responsibility and authority. That you have to be under authority. With us, it's the authority of the word of God and, and under God. But also, you need to teach that there's always going to be authority. There's going to be something over you, either in your place of work or in the home. But there's also, in the, in the realm of spirituality, we are underneath God. And under his authority. And his word is our authority for the pattern of worship and everything that we do. And then we teach right and wrong. And what is our pattern of authority for that? The word of God. It shows us what is right and what is wrong. And that's what we have to teach our children and our grandchildren about. That you respect that authority and you accept that authority because it's there for your best interest and good. God's not trying to lead you astray. He just showed them that in the garden when they disobeyed what happens. So then that you don't deviate from that. And so worship now is how we approach God. And, and to, to come to him to give him the praise and the glory and the worship. And so the tale of the two seeds begins by saying in verse 2 still. It says that Abel... Was a keeper of the sheep. But Cain was a tiller of a ground. So we begin the story of Cain and Abel. And religion and the seed of the devil and human works. Versus the sheep. Versus the lamb of God. The seed of the woman. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way of the lamb. So you got the way of Cain. And you got the way of the lamb. And why do I call it the way of Cain? Because the Bible does. Let me listen to what Jude 11 verse 11 says. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished like in the rebellion of Korah. So when he says they have gone the way of Cain, what is the way of Cain? Well, that's what we're getting ready to uncover because we do not want to go the way of Cain and what he did. So back at Genesis 4-2, Abel is a keeper of the sheep, but that means there's a contrast. But is a conjunction of contrast. One was a keeper of sheep, but in contrast to that, we have Cain, who is a tiller of the ground. So there's two separate lines getting ready to be. This is an analogy for these things, uh, kind of like Jesus's parables. So it says the way of Cain that God rejected is this. Cain first brought an offering, the word of God says, 
that was an offering of fruit and vegetables of his. Cain brought before the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. But Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and the fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain began to be very angry and his countenance or his face fell. Why was Abel and his offering accepted? And why was Cain and his offering rejected? Well, let's look at the way of Cain. Why was he rejected? It is not because of who he was. It wasn't because of his personality or anything like that or what the whole thing was. He brought a bloodless offering. He'd been told, and I'll show you that in a minute. He'd been told what to bring. They knew what to bring, but he didn't. I've been gardening all summer. Most of you guys have too, and you can pull your carrots. You can pick your peppers. You can grab apples off the tree. But you don't get blood out of any of them, do you? So whenever he brought his offering, it was a bloodless one. You know, Hebrews 9 and verse 22 says, When you talk about worship and your approach to God, it says that according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So he brought a bloodless offering. It wasn't one that had been asked for. The second thing that we notice about Cain's offering was is that he was a tiller of the ground. Go ahead and give me that, that next slide, Miss T. I didn't put it there, but we'll go ahead and go uh, to this one. He was a tiller of the ground. He offered up what he had worked for. His approach to God was not by blood, but by what I could do. It wasn't grace, it was works. He brought the fruit of his own labor and said, you need to respect me for what I did, not because of what the, the blood offering that you asked for. By the sweat of my nose, I earned these things. Remember that? By the sweat of your nose shall you bring forth your food. So it was by your works, not by grace. Religion is works. The way of Christ is grace. And so Isaiah 64 verse 6 says this about our works. We are all unclean and all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags before him. So in other words, it can never be about me and what I do. It has to be about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for me. And I become the righteousness of God through him. Whenever I put him on. The third thing about the way of Cain. And his offering. Is it was cursed from the start anyway. Where did the fruit come from? The ground. In chapter 3. When the curse was given to Adam. He said cursed is what? The ground. For your sake. So what he was taking from the fruit of the ground. Was already from something that was cursed. He was taking something from the curse and giving it to God saying, I don't recognize the curse. I don't recognize what you said. It, this is mine and you need to accept me just because of that. And God says, no, I accept you through the blood of my son that's coming. And that's what this animal sacrifice represents. So it was cursed from the start. Cursed is the ground and everything that came from it. So by pride... He failed to recognize the authority of God and his word. 
And how do I know that? I'm glad you asked. Because I always like to share that with you. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4 says this. By faith. And here we go again. Faith comes by what? And hearing by what? Word of God. So if by faith Abel offered to God the excellent sacrifice, then Cain, what had they both heard? What God expected them to do. By faith, one offered up what God told him to do because it came by hearing and hearing the word of God. The other one rejected the word of God and what God had asked for and said, I'm going to do it my way. And so it says that by faith, this is what happened between the two of them. And God testifies these gifts and that the one of Abel was righteous. And even though he is now dead, it still speaks that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God and righteousness by doing what God asked. And that is Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So now going back to, to Genesis 4. So the Lord, since we know these things now and what the way of Cain represents and what the way of Abel represents of listening to the word of God and doing it. So now the Lord God says to Cain because he looks at him. He's rejected that offering of his works that was bloodless, that didn't have any of those things that God expected. And God comes and he looks at him and he, and he sees that he's angry. He's so angry that it's boiling over from inside of him to the outside and his face is demonstrating it. He is seeing what is going on inside of him. And so God comes to Cain and I want you to know that this same advice goes not only to Cain but to you and I. I have to take this advice every day. He says this, why are you angry? Why did your face fall? If you do well... In other words, you do what I ask you, will you not be accepted? I don't care who you are. Paul said he was the greatest of sinners, and I'm going to claim second place. And, and you guys can come wherever you fit in after me, but I want you to know that the truth is that it's only because when I try to do it my way. And God says, I don't care who you are, I don't care what you have done, where you've came from. If you now do what is right, you are accepted in my sight. If you accept the blood of Jesus Christ and you ask for that forgiveness, I am faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. All you have to do is listen to me and trust. Do what I tell you. If you do well, you will be accepted. But... If you do not do well, if you don't listen to me, sin lies at your door, Cain, and its desire is for you, but you have to rule over it. And I want you to know that it is tough sometimes, isn't it? Isn't it tough sometimes to listen to God and do what God wants me to do instead of what I want to do? Because my flesh and my ideas and my emotions tell me that I want to do that this way. I want to go my way. And God says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and I will lift you up. Listen to me and do well. Don't keep going your way because when you go your way, sin lies at the door. 
And man, just like that serpent there with, with the woman, and just like he's there with us, he says he's lying there waiting for the opening to jump on you. Its desire is for you. But you have to rule over that desire. Temptation is real. Temptation is strong. And temptation comes from the inside of us. From that nature of man in the fall. When the DNA was changed through that forbidden fruit. And that temptation is strong. But God says listen. And overcome it. Trust in me. If you will trust in me. Resist him. He will flee from you. So he says resist it Cain. Because if you can't resist it. It's lying there and it will snatch you. So what happened? Did he listen or not? No, that burning emotion continued to roll within him. The Lord explained it. Man, you're accepted if you just follow me. But he didn't do it. He did not listen. And so now he goes out into the garden in in verse 8. They're out there in, in the field. And now Cain, when he's talking with Abel, his brother, it came to pass. Because you see, it came to pass beforehand how worship was to be. And they didn't, he didn't follow it. Now, he didn't learn from that to follow the word of God. But again, he rejects the advice of God. If you do well, you will be accepted. He, he stays with his thoughts. That's why we were to take every thought captive for Christ. Because it all begins with what we think. And what we think ends up boiling over into what we do. And he says, Cain talked with his brother, Abel. And it came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against his brother and he killed him. And the Lord God said, where is Abel your brother? And he says, I don't know. I'm not my brother's keeper, am I? I'm going to stop there for a minute. I'm not going to keep going on with the blood crying from the ground yet. I want to talk about the way of Cain. He refused to listen to God. His anger continued to burn. And when they were in the field, he rose up and he killed him. The first murder was against a brother and it was over worship. It was over worship and whether I'm accepted by God or not. And that's what the first murder was about. And then pride rose up in one over the other. Guess what the battle in the Middle East is over still today? The same thing, isn't it? So these same things are going on. So now, Manny Artis, you know how he killed him? Do you know when it says that Cain rose up and he killed his brother Abel? Do you know how he did it? A couple of you do because we talked about it on Wednesday nights in the Genesis class when we really dug deep into this. And I promised that one day I would share it when we came to it. And here it is. You know, I went to the Creation Museum a few years ago and you walk through there. And as you walk through there, there's pictures of what happened through those time periods from from the Bible and from Genesis, the answers in Genesis. I was surprised that whenever you walked through there, it had the picture of the club, and he he was hitting him with a club and with a rock to kill his brother. That's false. Artists are not inspired by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Artists can lead us astray in our thinking. You know how he was actually killed? The Bible tells us. But it doesn't tell us right here. It tells us another place. In 1 John chapter 3 verses 11 through 13. 
It says, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We're not to act as Cain and go the way of Cain, who was of the wicked one. So you see, it was the seed of the serpent. This is the lineage of the serpent, the line there. Not of Cain, who was of the seed of the wicked one, and he slew his brother. And wherefore did he slew him? Just because his works were evil and his brothers was righteous. So marvel not, brethren, that the world hates you because you love me. And it's right there in that verse 12. It says, you know why he slew him? Well, to us it just looks like he killed him. But whenever you go to the original language, whenever you go to the original language, this is what it says. It says this. I, I actually took the picture of it so you know what the concordance says. The original word is sfatso, and sfatso is a verb which means to slay and to slaughter, but it's a specific one. Primary verb, to butcher, especially as in a sacrifice for an animal. Don't you know that there had been no death up to this point? No one knew how a person was supposed to die. This is the first murder. But it was all about the religion and about the acceptance, and what did... Abel bring to God. It was a what? Blood sacrifice from the animal. And when Cain watched the sacrifice and he saw the knife that slit the throat of the animal so that the blood could come out. And then it said he offered up not only the animal but the fat thereof. That means he had to butcher it and get the best parts out of the animal. The best was offered up to God. When Satan... And when Cain saw that that animal died by the hand of a sacrificial knife in the offering to God, his wheels of anger began turning. And I'm ignoring God that said I'm supposed to control my anger and my rejection. And I'm going to take it out on my brother. And here's the way I can do it. And so the means of coming to God by the blood sacrifice was also the means that the devil copied as a way of worship unto him and his way, the way of Cain. And he took the knife and he slew his brother in the same way that he had saw that the animal had been sacrificed. I began to learn a little bit more because I began to study that word Shfadso there. I began to look at the side and it tells you where every instance that that word is used. And look what I found out in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 4. You know, in Revelation 6, that, that's a little tiny. If you got your Bibles, I hope you can read it up there. It looks good on the computer screen, but I wanted to get all of this in here for you. In Revelation 6, we've got the seals began to be open. You know, the first seal is open and the rider on the white horse begins to ride. And, and he begins to take peace away. And, he, and when he, he began to conquer and to go forth and to conquer and make war. In verse 3 and 4, another horse went open when the second seal was popped. This horse is fiery red. And it was granted to the one who sat upon the horse... To take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another. Shvadso. The great war that is coming, that, that the great war that's going to happen is the war between Satan's seed and the Lamb's seed. And in the beginning, 
it's going to look like Satan's seed is going to win. And that second seal, when it's popped, the, the people who do not believe in Jesus Christ, those other religions, the people who only believe in their self, like Cain, the atheists, the ones, I am the one in charge and I am righteous. And also the religions that ignore Christ and worship the Mohammeds and the different things of that sort. They are going to have a time when they will kill one another. Those legions will be unleashed. Peace will be gone. And the war will be between the seed of the serpent. And those who follow the way of Cain. And those who follow the lamb of God. And they will begin to kill those who follow the lamb. Just like Jesus said. Don't be surprised that the world hates you. It hated me. And they don't consider you to be your brother. Don't, don't be like them and hate your brother like Cain did Abel. But know this. They're going to do that. And they think. And you can, you can see it in all those jihads. They think that by killing Christians that they are honoring their God. And that is the sacrifice of blood to their God. Satan Wants to be worshipped and wants to be God. And so he imitates. And his imitation is. You offered your son. I am going to take every one of the blood of your people. His blood cleanses. I am going to try to take that blood. And so they're offered up. So then when we get. And just as we read that the blood of Abel was crying from the ground. The blood of innocent victims of any kind by those who follow the way of Cain still cries unto God this day. You get down to verse 9 when the fifth seal opens after the verse 3 when all of this slaughtering begins to take place. This offering of Satan's seed unto him. It says, when the fifth seal was opened, I saw under the altar of God the souls of those who had been slain, shfadsoed, offered for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Do you know how hard that hit me this week? Because that means that all of our brothers and sisters in foreign countries, that's happening right now. And the blood of those offerings of their bodies because they are being slain for the word of God and the testimony that they hold is crying out to God. And it is saying, as their loud voices cry, that blood of the innocent, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood from those that dwell on the earth. Earth dwellers. Those that dwell on the earth are those that are not a part of the kingdom of heaven because our kingdom is not of this earth. How long? With everything that's going on here, with what's going on there and what they're importing into here, I'm thinking, how long until this battle comes here and it begins facing it with me, my family, your family, the ones that we love? I don't know, but that hit me really hard because there's going to come a time when a seal's going to get popped. 
And the murdering is going to come here against those that love God from the seed of the other one. And, it, and this, the blood is crying from the altar. How long, O oh Lord, righteous and true, until you avenge what's going on. And the, the Lord says, okay, here's a white robe. You're saved. You're in my hands. I've got you. And it was given to each of them. And they were told, rest for a little while. Because pretty soon I'm getting ready to take that vengeance. But God is not taking vengeance. Why yet? Because God is not willing that any should perish. But all should come to repentance. And in the last three weeks we've had five or six young souls come to the Lord. There are still people coming. And God's not willing that any should perish. And he's waiting on you. If you're here and you've not done that, he's waiting on you. He's telling everyone else, I am holding back my vengeance until the number. Look at verse 11. Until the number of your fellow servants that will be killed as you are is completed. He's waiting until everything is complete and every soul is going to be saved that's going to be saved. Revelation 18. Here's how long. Because by the time we get to this chapter, you turn there, we're getting ready to close. As the earth dwellers and the seeds of the serpent are throwing dust on their heads because of the vengeance that's been getting ready to come to Babylon and, and, and to the one that the, the, uh, the seed of the serpent that's there. The angels of God are beginning to praise God because now he's taking actions and vengeance upon all that's going on. And in chapter 18 and verse 20, it says it's going to happen in one hour. It ain't going to take long when God decides to act. That's why you better be ready before he acts because when he, God decides to act, it's going to be now. And it says in one hour, they will all be desolate. And rejoice, O heavens, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you upon her. And then a mighty angel took up the stone like a great millstone, and he threw it into the sea. And he said, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down, and there shall not be found any more the sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, trumpeters, they will not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman will be found. Only the sound of the millstone will be heard. The light and the lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and her bride, the church, shall not be heard anymore. Your merchants were great men. These were the rich men, the prideful men, the ones who thought they could control the earth, the seed of Satan, and, and do all of these things to overthrow God and his kingdom. They deceived by their sorcery the nations of the earth. And in her was found the blood of the people of God, the prophets and the saints, and all who were shvatsoed upon the earth. So by the time we get to chapter 18, God said, it's done. Everyone's ready. Everything's ready. Now, the blood that is crying from all of those that have been offered up unto Satan and unto the seed of the serpent will be done. No more. There's not going to be anything left. But until then, God is patient. 
And he is just. And he is waiting for the right time. And that all should come to repentance. Chapter 19 begins the next chapter after this. Right after this. And it says, Hallelujah. Salvation has come. It's time to honor and praise him. The one who has all power. Our Lord God. Because he has now avenged the blood of his servants. That was shed by her. So as our worship team comes on up. And, and we close this out. I pray that this lesson has opened your eyes from the word of God. That, there, that it teaches that there are two ways of life. And a choice is made. You either choose the way of Cain. The way that's without Christ. It's a bloodless way. It's a way of my works. It's a way of you should honor me for what I do and who I am. And not from anything else. It's a way that says I don't recognize your curse upon man. And, and the seed of Satan. You should recognize me. No. God recognizes through his son Jesus Christ. Jesus said I am the way. So you've got the way of the serpent. And the way of Cain. Or you've got the way of Christ. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. There is no man coming to the Father except through me. He that believeth in the Son has life. He that does not believe in the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. So the way of Cain is religion. Works in self and ignores God's word as an authority. It does not respect authority in life. It says what I think is right. If you're here this day and you've never been born again of the water. And of the spirit, I do pray that you make that choice today. He, Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And he that believeth not shall be condemned. So I implore you to, to look at Acts chapter two, 22 and verse 16. It says, and now, why do you keep waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And if you've not done that, do that this day. And if you have done that, walk in the way of the Lamb and not in the way of Cain, of self and my own thoughts. Let's pray. So, Father, what a powerful, powerful section of the Word of God that we've covered today and how that, that the blood of Abel crying out from the ground goes all the way until the end Whenever you take, take your own revenge upon the way of Cain and the shedding of that innocent blood all the way to there. Father, I, I desperately pray that you would help us to understand that this is a battle between two seeds. It's not just against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And that they are motivated by the seed of the serpent and the way of Cain. We are motivated by grace, the blood of Christ, and your mercy. So, Father, help us to be your warriors in prayer. Allow us to put on your armor. Allow us to be your ambassadors. And I, and I pray, Father, that we hold on. We don't give up even if that battle comes to our soil. That we trust in you. We know that one day we'll hear that call, well done, good and faithful servant. And Father, I pray that if there are those here that have never named you, help them to realize that they're still walking in the way of Cain because they've rejected 
the way to you. I pray that they accept your way, the Lord Jesus Christ. Be born again. Spiritual life. Everlasting life. Help us to stay in that way, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.